Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. McGurk! I love Not typing. Not messing with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you <laughs> like it? It's being, becoming a human burrito, a plus or a minus. I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther Boardroom or Ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And as you can see uh, by what we're wearing, if you're watching the live stream, if, you, if you're listening to this on the audio podcast, you, you might have to uh, either you check out the live out. stream. You missed or... out with my high side pony. <laughs> <laughs> or you'll just have to imagine in your head that we have uh, tried to do our best to recreate the 80s and what we're appearing in <laughs> for the live stream. So we're doing that because we are live and wired on YouTube and Facebook to discuss and review the John. John Hughes classic film, Pretty in Pink. Uh, we've been doing some seasonal reviews for Christmas the last couple of years, so we thought we'd do one for Valentine's Day Why this year. Why not Valentine's Day? We ask Why ourselves. Not? There, is, there is a classic film uh, that stars uh, Ducky Lux Luthor. We talk about Ducky, <laughs> Ducky Lux Luthor origin. The yes. origin, if you will, of Ducky Lux Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> so since we talk about Ducky Lux Luthor a lot, we thought we would uh, just go ahead and actually watch the film and uh, talk about it. And so if you have seen, if you're watching live uh, and you're in the chat and you want to talk about Pretty in Pink, please share your thoughts. This is actually uh, a quite the, con- uh, it has a, it has a controversy in this film. There's, there's quite the controversy uh, about the pink? ending. Uh, yes, oh, about the yes, ending. About yes, about the ending. Yes. I, I can't wait to get to that. So this live chat might get a uh, little, uh, little topical, little, a uh, little uh, heated, maybe uh, depending on which, uh, which side, of the love triangle you you, you side on. Um, so, so we are going to actually just kind of uh, do a little bit of a different thing here. But this does have a Supergirl tie here uh, because John Cryer stars as Ducky in Pretty in Pink. And he, uh, for many seasons of Supergirl, uh, was Lex, <laughs> Lex Luthor. So it does have a Supergirl tie. So that's how we justify things like this. I would argue <laughs> that this is John Cryer's iconic role, hmm. uh, Ducky, here in Pretty in Pink. A lot of other people would probably argue against me because he's done a lot of other things. But for <laughs> me, but for me, Ducky's really, Ducky's really it. So I'm glad he's- we got to we, we got to revisit this iconic role of his. <laughs> yes. So he's actually one of the standouts, I would argue, um, in this film. So we will definitely. Uh, be talking about uh, him and Ducky as well. So uh, I guess we'll just go ahead and get started because we, I mean, depending on uh, our thoughts and uh, the the controversy that we're going to discuss, uh, we probably should just go ahead and get started because it might we might go go long <laughs> <laughs> talking about this movie. Okay, so here is the description of Pretty in Pink from IMDb.com. Uh, quote: A poor girl must choose between the affections of dating her childhood sweetheart 
or a rich but sensitive playboy, unquote. Uh, Morgan, do you think that's a pretty accurate uh, no. description of the film? <laughs> I don't think that. I don't think that. And here's why. There's, I mean, spoiler alerts if you haven't seen Pretty oh, in Pink. We're, we're going into full We're going to tell you all about the movie. But honestly, if you haven't, I think that's kind of on you. It's been like 30 years. So... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but I feel like at no point was she conflicted about whether or not she wanted to be with uh with, with Blaine or Ducky. Uh, <laughs> she wanted to be with Blaine. Sometimes he was a little iffy on her, mm -hmm. uh, and Ducky was just sort of this weird guy who drove <laughs> past her house a lot. Uh, who she was like, I love you as a friend, and he's like, I'm hearing that you love me, and she's like, as a friend is a very <laughs> big part of that sentence, and he's like, cool, so I'll just sit outside your window and kind of watch you sleep, and she's like, please don't do that. He's like, got it, ten four, uh, and that's he, he how basically I would asked he, it. he asked her dad for uh, her hand in marriage at one point. <laughs> Right. I was like, listen, I think you might want to just convince her to go out on one date with you or like not actively ignore you in every public <laughs> setting. That's step one, Ducky. Ducky, my God, that's step one. <laughs> yeah. So we will uh, talk about that. I thought it was strange that uh, I mean, I think sensitive is a good way to describe Ducky. But uh, but a, a playboy. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I didn't get the like. Uh, uh, I didn't get the impression that Blaine was a playboy, mostly because we didn't see him with oh, like. No, no, I think it's talking about Ducky as a playboy. Ducky is a playboy? I don't think so. No, uh, oh no, no, I'm reading it wrong. The childhood sweetheart is Ducky. Yeah, and the rich but rich but sensitive playboy is. I, I, think, I read that completely wrong. I think there's a lot of things in this one sentence description that are incorrect. I think she's <laughs> not conflicted, not even a little bit. I wouldn't describe <laughs> Ducky as her childhood sweetheart. He's just some guy he she knows that she cannot get rid of, and he then calls her like every ten minutes. And, leaves her <laughs> and then Blaine, I wouldn't describe him as a, a rich but sensitive playboy because he only seems to be interacting with her in any capacity capacity mm -hmm. um and he, we don't really see him with other girls i don't know if they like mentally combined him and james spader and was like basically the same character <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so uh I, I did want to respond to something in the chat before we get uh really digging deep into these characters uh obi's girl says that some pair of glasses and i just wanted to explain <laughs> Um, that let's see which side is it. I think it's this side. These yeah. are actually this is actually green right here in reality, but uh, with a green screen behind me, it has uh, blended in with my background. So if uh, if that <laughs> if that's something you noticed, <laughs> that's what it is. So I just wanted to clarify that. I thought she just found like a pair of pink sunglasses that she was wearing, and I was like, oh, totally far out, man. One half, is, <laughs> one half is dark pink, and the other half is light pink. And then she's like, actually, they're green. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I wanted to get some ducky sunglasses. <gasps> Those um, would be amazing, but uh, but I couldn't find any, so I settled for the. Uh, super 80s yeah. uh, pair. The closest I could get to the 80s was this glitter blazer that uh, for some reason I own. Uh, <laughs> looking through my closet like f 10 minutes ago, like there's got to be something that's going to pump up this outfit 80s-wise. <laughs> I've got the pink. I've got the earrings. Mm -hmm. The earrings are very 80s. Yeah. I was like, but what else? And then I was like, wait, are there? Is that sequence on that <laughs> jacket? 
I think I've got it. <laughs> well, it looks like something Andy would wear. So I appreciate the uh, the wardrobe choice. <laughs> that, that was the thought process. <laughs> so that might be a good segue to actually dig into the Andy character played by Molly Ringwald. So uh, I guess we'll just kind of uh, go down the characters and uh, say what we uh, think about them and the, the actors who portrayed them. So. Uh, Morgan, uh, I guess we'll start with Andy because she is the lead of Pretty in Pink. Uh, what do you think about Andy and her character journey in the film? Yeah, I liked Andy. I, lo- I love Molly Ringwald. I'm a sucker for the like the Molly Ringwald period of cinema, if you will, <laughs> where Molly Ringwald was just in every single movie and you were just like, that yeah, Molly Ringwald. And then she just kind of disappeared. Yeah. Um, but there was a period where like you could not go to see a movie without Molly Ringwald suddenly being in it. Uh, and this is, I think, one of her big ones, like this one, Breakfast Club and uh, 16 Candles, I think which I think are all John Hughes movies. All John Hughes, yeah. So he was like her, she she was like his muse, if you will. Um, But I thought, I liked Andy. I I thought that she had an interesting, like, character progression in the the movie. I thought the stuff with her family was really interesting. Uh, The stuff with her dad and and her mom who left them both and her dad who kind of sank into a depression and like couldn't get a job, like couldn't really motivate himself to get up because he, he missed the mom. Um, despite the fact that she had left them like three years prior. And, um, and, and I kind of, I sympathized with her because she had, you know, she was going to a school with like a lot of rich kids, but she wasn't rich. And so she had to deal with all the snotty rich kids and um, was kind of embarrassed that she was just sort of a, like a, poor like a like a more poor person and um so i yeah i thought that that andy was was interesting now andy's fashion was also great (laughs) top-notch 80s stuff it's like could the outfit be baggy so it just kind of looks like i just grabbed a burlap sack but also have about 10 things over top of it so that you know that I have like a lot of accessories, like every outfit, there was at least like 10 pieces to the outfit as if she was getting ready to play strip poker. Um, <laughs> yes. So at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, um, she gets these two different dresses, one from her friend and one from her dad. And she's like, because I am a fashion, I'm a fashion gal. That's what I do. <laughs> I fashion. I'm going to take these two dresses, which by themselves were fine, normal looking dresses. And I'm going to create something so weird that everyone's (laughs) going to stop and stare when I walk in. And like what I appreciate about this dress is that I believe a 16 year old made it. Uh, (laughs) No part of me is like that girl couldn't have made that. No, that girl definitely made that. Like the lace that comes all the way up to the collar some of that lace looks like it's literally kind of coming up a little bit, like it's fighting her. Uh, <laughs> it's it's made out of like satin, but it's also baggy somehow. The seams don't look like they quite lay right. I believe that I believe that Molly Ringwald like made this dress herself, like between takes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that is the premise of the the movie that she is always coming up with different outfits and she has uh, quite quite the taste, but she's doing it. It's done in character because she isn't very wealthy. And so she has to uh, find things from uh, thrift stores and whatever she can find. And she just kind of makes 
her own kind of fashion uh, because she can't afford some of the fancier things. So I think that's uh, in character for Andy. I'm trying to see what else, uh, what other outfit that I have of her here. Uh, but it, it's it's quite the eclectic taste that she has. <laughs> but she, you know, she does what she can as as a girl from literally the other side of the tracks. I think she did uh, pretty well with what she had. She's like, I'm going to get a dress. It's going to be really baggy. Over top of that dress, I'm going to put a lace vest. Why a lace vest? I don't know. On top of that lace, ve- lace vest, I'm going to have like some sort of cravat around my neck. Why is that there? <laughs> I don't know. And like, <laughs> she's like, and the fingerless gloves really tie it all together. Do they, Andy? <laughs> yeah, I thought the dress and I had to take the glasses off. They were uh, about <laughs> made me have a headache. Uh, not very easy to wear underneath headphones. Uh, but yeah, I thought the dress that uh, her friend Iona had uh, was was great. Like, yeah. Why didn't she just wear that? Uh, <laughs> well, when they get to the prom, I was like, dear God, all of the prom dresses in this are insane looking, insane. And Mike goes, no, there's got to be one normal one in there. And I was like, good. Let's where's Waldo it. You find me one normal looking dress <laughs> in that prom scene. And I don't think we, he would like, be like, how about that one? I was like, uh, I mean, that's teetering on semi-normal, but like, look at how big the sleeves are. <laughs> so this movie is like, sometimes you'll watch stuff from the 80s and you'll go, Okay, the fashion is a little dated, but like I under like I understand like some of that stuff I could see people wearing today. And this is one of those movies where you're like, what were we, what were people on in the eighties? Like, <laughs> did everyone dress like that? That's insane. That's an insane way to dress. They they did, I think. For the I most think so too. <laughs> Please uh, let's layer more stuff on top of other stuff. <laughs> Molly Ringwald was actually a pretty big influencer. I, I realized today she was on the cover of Time Magazine at one point. <laughs> Like, oh, oh my, my god really uh so yeah you can look that up for yourself molly ringwald time magazine cover uh so if she wore that uh that might have uh set some trends in i, I in think the culture. i bet that that the year that that movie came out there were a lot of girls in like ill-fitting like silk dresses that came up <laughs> to their necks kind of like, kind of like they were like vampires who couldn't sew <laughs> uh, i think she started like a whole trend of i bet like there was a bunch of people who showed up in like pink dresses that looked somewhat like that <laughs> <laughs> and now they're like looking through their photos going, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I did like Andy as a character. I felt I felt a lot of uh, compassion for her and I felt very connected to her, you know, what she was going through. I think she was written pretty well in terms of having a character journey and having uh, traits that went along with her character that carried her all the way through. Um and uh, I, I really, I think the scene that really stands out to me in terms of Andy and Molly Ringwald's performance is when she goes out uh, with Blaine for the first time. It's on their first date. Uh, he's he's already come by, tracks the record store, and they've had a little conversation. And he asks her out, and she decides to go out with him, even though you know, she knows he's rich, uh, but he doesn't really know seemingly much about her and there's a scene where he wants to drive her home and she's like really adamant like i don't want you to take me home i don't want you to take me home i don't want you to know where i live and that was really affecting to me because she was so embarrassed about where she lived and that he was going to judge her for that and for for a movie that was kind of quirky because of the time period uh what i love the 80s though oh, they're so great. Uh, 
I'm, I'm an eighties child, so I, I have an affection for the eighties, but, uh, but I, you know, for, for a movie that was kind of, you know, funny in a lot of places there, there were a lot of good dramatic scenes I thought in the movie. And that was one of them that I thought Molly Ringwald really, uh, showed off some acting skills there. So I, I thought she did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think that was one of my favorite scenes from from her in this movie that wasn't like didn't involve her dad was her like freaking out about Blaine seeing her house and and being embarrassed that she was poor and he was rich. And I also had to remember like the time period in eight in the 80s was like that was very much the time when like it was cool. It was really cool to be preppy. And you wanted to have like all the right designer clothes and you, you know, it was like the sort of the the preppy greed is good period of time where like, I mean, it's always been the case that like it's like people look up to the rich. Right. But like in the 80s, they were like explicit about it. It was like, it's good if you're rich. So so I mean, I think, you know, during that time period, it would have been even harder to be like a poor kid, especially at a rich school like that, where all the rich kids seemed like they were honestly just terrible people. (laughs) They really were (laughs) just the worst. And there's also a moment that is, uh, I, I thought, uh, some some decent writing. I mean, it's not like mind-blowingly good writing, but I thought it was uh, a good use of it was uh, when Andy and Ducky are driving through this neighborhood and they see a house, this really nice big house. And Andy says, uh, that's my favorite one. And I really, I would really like to go in there. I bet, I bet the people who live there wouldn't, you know, value it as much as I would. And that's the house that she goes into with Blaine uh, for that party uh, that gets a little uh, uncomfortable. (laughs) But it's just it's just interesting to me that she wanted to go in there. And when she got in, when she realistically got in there, she wanted to leave. So I thought that was a, a nice little play on that. Yeah, I also thought that it was um, it was really interesting that they um, that the the first date was interesting and by interesting i mean that was probably one of the fir- the worst first dates why ever. would he why would he take her there why would he take her he's like hey hey girl that i like that already my be- my friend has been really rude about i want to take you with all of my friends who i know are terrible i'm aware that they're terrible <laughs> obviously obviously i know that they're terrible uh i'm gonna take you to this party that you already told me i don't think i really want to go to it's going to be cool. And then like when they go into the bedroom, cause it's it, a terrible party. And so he gets a bunch of snacks and he's like, we'll just hang out. And they walk in and James Spader's there. And he's like, hi, welcome to the Spader sex den. It's going to be weird in here. <laughs> and instead of leaving like normal people, they're just like, they're pulled to like the gravitational power of Spader. It's like, you can't get away once his laser beams get on you. <laughs> and then they're just sitting in a corner while him and his girlfriend are canoodling and his girlfriend's like I hate you <laughs> and then they're just still there and why wouldn't like, you just get up and leave it's like my god make it end <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be there you, you could choose don't to have leave. to be there yeah it was a it was not a great first date lots of lots of things happened well I guess it ended well uh, it did. Yeah. So I guess eventually you know, I guess there is that it was a long road saw, to get there. I saw what the, the movie was trying to do, which was like, they're like Romeo and Juliet. His friends don't like her and her friends don't like him. And right. I was like, 
part of these are this is not a quite a one-to-one comparison though is it movie <laughs> is it because ducky is just being rude it's and sort of the punks are just like what are you doing here <laughs> but like nobody is like making like picking on him at that at the the bar that they go to eventually except ducky who like come on it's ducky like just yeah. take it <laughs> He lost it a little bit. Uh, One thing I wanted to ask you, because it was something that I was thinking about when I was watching the movie. I had seen Pretty in Pink a long, long time ago. Um, So it had been a while for me. So this was uh, rewatching it for Supergirl Radio actually gave me a chance to revisit it and think about it in a different way. And um, since you mentioned the mom, Andy's mom had left a couple of years earlier and it's just her and her dad, it made me start to think, and I like to ask this question every time I watch a movie or a TV show or even read a book when I ever read books. Um, I asked asked the question, why? And uh, I was trying to think, why why would you have Andy's mother gone? Why do do that? Because you could have told the same story with Andy's mom there. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I don't know. I'm not sure why they had Andy's mom like not in the picture. I wonder if it's like to make her feel like she's even more removed from all the rich kids and like the high school, you know, drama, like these like nuclear families that are all over the place and and her family is kind of falling apart a little bit. Her mom's left and maybe just make her feel even more alienated. This idea of like her her mom left and she doesn't really have anyone to talk to i'd also argue maybe it's that she doesn't have anyone to talk to about these like boy problems that she's having and so she has to talk to her boss from work or her you know even her dad she kind of talks to her dad a lot i was like honestly just you need one female friend that's well, not that's, your boss that, that's why she oh well yeah she has iona but that's, that's <laughs> maybe kind from, of like one female friend who is a same age somebody else in high school perhaps like she can't talk to ducky about it because he's he's just gonna call her every five minutes every hour on the hour anyway <laughs> yeah i i was kind of thinking about it in terms of and i i don't think this was intentional uh in the writing because uh, the ending was changed while they were shooting it. So I don't think this was totally uh, intended, but I was sort of seeing it as um, uh, something about unrequited love is what I was trying to. Yes. I think you're probably, you're probably closer because they do talk a lot about like, he says, um, you know, I, I know that I should give up on her, but I still love her. Yeah, and it and it sounded like she left him, and he was he was struggling with that. Are we having a, a feline friend? Oh yeah, yeah. Bunsen's head oh. was fully in the garbage, so oh. <laughs> like just just rooting around in there, little paws, seeing if he could find something good for himself. A little little late night snack for Bunsen. <laughs> <laughs> trying, trying to like like get out of the garbage. <laughs> Let us know if we need to uh, take an emergency break. I think we're. I think we're good. We've 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 resolved the garbage situation. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I was I was thinking about it in, in terms of that because Ducky has a very unrequited love, and he seems to bond with Andy's father. Um, but but I don't know if that was intended because the original ending, and I guess we're sort of. Uh, getting ahead, maybe we can save the controversy for later in the uh, in the discussion. But uh, the original ending had Andy ending up with Ducky, so that wouldn't have uh, been intentional, I think, to talk about Ducky in terms of unrequited love. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it works in the version of the movie that we have here, but I don't know that it would have worked in the original conception of the movie. And also, it's I can't wait to talk about that because, yeah, like I think that's always been my complaint about the movie is like, and then she, but him still? I think okay, so maybe we should just get into it because I think we both want to discuss this, and, and maybe and maybe so. we could talk. Maybe we could talk about Blaine and Ducky here as well. We can kind of combine the two uh, topics of conversation. So, Morgan, when you're watching Pretty in Pink, are you rooting for someone in this in this love triangle, this high school love triangle, or what? What are your feelings about you it? You know what? I feel like I am rooting for Ducky, and I understand. That I should not be right because <laughs> because that kid's a stalker straight out. That kid straight, is straight up. That kid's straight out a stalker. Uh, you should not call anyone that many times. He calls her in one scene and he's like, "It's six. It's six twenty. Where are you?" And then she's like listening to her messages. That's a thing that kids we used to do back then. You leave. Yeah. A, you left a message like on the answering like, machine. Answering machine, and then yeah. you would like hope that somebody that you liked called you back, mm-hmm. and yeah. you would hear the voicemail. Um, but so she's listening to all the, like the messages on the answering machine and he's like, Hey, you didn't answer it's 620. Hey, it's 625. You still haven't answered. You okay? It's 630. If I don't hear from you, I'm just going to come over. <laughs> no, no, not answering, not hearing from her. Is your answer ducky? <laughs> and then he like drives his bike by her house all the time just to see if she's there. Ducky, ducky. No, Ducky, no. <laughs> he also follows her around. In one scene when uh, when Andy goes to visit with Iona to talk about the dresses and Blaine and all that kind of stuff, he's standing outside Iona's place. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure she didn't know. I mean, I don't think Andy knew that he was there. No, no, she definitely didn't. Like, he's full scale stalking her. Uh, <laughs> Also, I think just to give you an impression of like how not conflicted she is about this decision, like one of the first scenes is her at this like bar, which I assume that she gets into with a fake ID that they just let her into because she's there always there with her like her boss, her older boss. Um, But Ducky can never get into this bar. Like they never let Ducky into the bar. They're just not feeling the duck man. And uh, (laughs) and also they know he's not old enough. And so he's like, he's got a relationship. She does this so often that he has a relationship with the bouncer and the bouncer is like, what do you think it means that she comes here all the time and she knows you cannot get in. (laughs) And you know what it means? She just wants a few moments of freedom from you, Ducky. (laughs) because you are a stalker (laughs) so so in that case since we have established his stalkery tendencies what makes you sort of want to pull for him in the movie i don't know i i don't god God bless him maybe it's john crier is just that charismatic because you give me if you give me just like a sheet of what he did in the movie i'd be like my god get away he that man's gonna murder you but (laughs) But yet somehow when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, oh, do you want to just take a chance on Ducky? Just take a chance on that man outside your window. Uh, Listen, don't take it. If you have a Ducky in your life, don't take a chance on him. Believe me, don't do it. (laughs) He's too into you. Even if he does a great uh, like musical rendition where you where you work and he comes in and lip syncs (laughs) and dances around. It's it's not it's not great. Was he sing? What was he lip singing? Like tenderness, I think. 
It was, it was so good. I feel like that's like one of the like iconic uh, scenes from Pretty in Pink. Yeah, it was uh, Otis Redding. Um, that's what. So yeah. there was that, and I think that was chosen by both the director and the uh, and John and John Cryer. But yeah, I mean, there are instances in the movie that make me want to cheer for Ducky. One of them was him singing and dancing in uh, Tracks, the record store. And another instance, what was confusing to me is that they they do all of this stuff with Blaine. And at the end of the movie, Blaine and Andy have a big fight. Andy goes to the prom by herself. She wants to show that, the, you know, the these rich kids, these richies can't break her. He's at the top of the stairs and he's going to take her to prom. And that's a moment where I'm like, if you don't want her to end up with him, you don't do not do that kind of thing. That's a little misleading. Yeah, I know. I know. I, it, feel, it felt like the movie was leading us in one direction and then just did like an about face right at the end. I, I don't think it. I I don't think it helps that like Andy and Ducky for all of the weird stalkery tendencies that they had, that he had, they had like a real relationship. Like they were actually friends. She gave him rides places. They got along, they studied together and things like that. She seemed like she was mostly just, he was just kind of a, a, a gentle annoyance in her life, but she, <laughs> she, <laughs> she was like kind of putting up with it. Like they had a friendship. Whereas I, I don't think that the movie ever really sold what her and Blaine were were connecting on in any way. Like what what did they talk about when they weren't just staring at James Spader with his shirt off? Like what what was that conversation? What what did they have in common exactly besides both being pretty and liking very 80s fashion? Like I just don't she was like, I like that you're rich because secretly I kind of want to be rich. And he's like, you're a person that's sitting in front of me in the computer lab. I don't really, I, he, he do, goes, does this whole speech to James Vader about like how Andy is so different and Andy is this and Andy is that. And I was like, and your interactions with her have led you to believe that. How? <laughs> it's, it's funny to me because when I previously, previously watched pretty in pink, I was on team ducky because I think of the ending and how I felt like ducky was wronged. But this time around, I watched it and I was like, no, why did I ever think that? Why <laughs> why would I be cheering for Ducky? Because there's actually more romantic things with Andy and Blaine, especially, specifically that scene where they're in the uh, library in their little computer lab. Oh, the computer thing was so cute. It's cute. It's really cute and romantic. And uh, I don't know how he accomplished that, though. He must be a really I, good programmer. I was like, how did he do that in the 80s? Like, even just getting the photo up on the screen was like, <laughs> how? <laughs> Witchcraft? <laughs> I guess when you're rich, you can do uh, kind of anything you want to in the 80s on a computer. But those, kinds of, but those kinds of moments won me over this time with Blaine. Um, so I don't know. It was strange. It was a strange feeling for me to watch it this time and be like, actually, I was on Team Blaine this time. So it was it was very strange. Um, but uh what do you think about uh and Andrew McCarthy? We haven't really talked about him much. We've talked about Blaine a little bit. Um, but what did you think about his performance? I thought Andrew McCarthy was good. I thought like all of the uh the actors in this movie were good. I feel like and he wasn't given a whole lot of anything with Blaine. Like Blaine was just sort of the like unreachable rich guy who was handsome and had like a nice car and seemed like he was nice. 
and that's about all we got. Like he, he was also very easily swayed. Like James Spader would just like slither up to him. Like <laughs> James Spader would just appear like out of a bush or something. He'd be like, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> With his shirt open all the time. With his shirt open. He would just like start unbuttoning as he spoke to you. (laughs) Like, James Spader, my God. (laughs) Your sexual energy is off putting. (laughs) That shirt has buttons for a reason. (laughs) My God, James Spader. Uh, But he would like, yeah, his uh, Blaine's friend, who's I think named was like Steph or something. Steph, yeah. Steph. Like, Steph would come up and say one thing and like it would just throw poor Blaine into a tailspin. Like, are you? like that easily thrown off by by James Spader I just it felt like a little strange like there wasn't a lot to I wish there was like more to his character like it felt like there might they might be hinting at some stuff with his family but it was only hinting like they never really dove any deeper than that so I was I was left with like wow this guy can't seemingly like make up his own mind he has to ask Spader like what's up and and uh, Steph wasn't even that great of a friend. I don't know why they were friends. I guess they they maybe bonded over being rich. But I was like, he's a <laughs> terrible friend. Why are you hanging out with him? Exactly. It's 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 like a classic. I feel like it's a classic like TV and movie trope where it's like the the, the nice one and then the mean you know the mean friend the mean popular friend and like it always makes me question like well then look what do they have in common that they. <laughs> that they're such good friends. If he's Blaine's like, I'm just kind of like a normal chill guy. And, uh, and, and this is my best friend, uh, like count Dracula. It's like, <laughs> what, what do you and the count have in common? Exactly. Like makes me side eye, makes me side eye the nice one. Cause I'm like, okay, but well you, you didn't notice that he's awful. Like he's never not awful. <laughs> well, I will say I will give credit to James uh, uh, Spader. He had great hair. Oh my god, it was amazing! Great 80s it was hair. like so so good. James Spader, James Spader just has this strange energy that he seems to bring to every single thing that I've ever seen him in. And it's like if you just let James Spader go, James Spader, the energy of him will just eat your entire production. You have, <laughs> you have to rein in Spader. And it kind of happens here where it's like, even the description writer couldn't really remember Blaine and was only probably remembering James Spader. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that guy was a playboy because the only one I remember is the one with his shirt open all the time. It's like, <laughs> Poor Aunt, poor Andrew McCarthy's like trying to give it like a like a normal grounded performance, and James Spader just like slides in with his shirt all open, just being creepy to every single person. Just like, hey, what's up? It's like, <laughs> what? Spader, calm down. <laughs> uh, Donna in the chat says, if you want to watch a creepy James Spader performance, watch Mannequin with Andrew McCarthy and Kim Cattrall featuring Estelle Getty. Also, another great eighties movie, oh, Mannequin. Such a good one. A mannequin comes mannequin- to life. Yes, the mannequin comes to life. The 80s were also a great decade for Spader, I will say. Yes, it was a great Spader. A lot of like movies where like suddenly like James Spader, like, oh, James Spader is in this. And then it's like, oh, James Spader, what are you doing in this? (laughs) (laughs) Sidling up to somebody. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And uh, Claudia CM Gutierrez 74 says best Blaine scene when Andy was giving him the business at the lockers when he had to uh, renege on his prom invitation. Uh, man, his controlled crying and public embarrassment was on point. Yeah, that's also a very good scene. So I actually have a question about the the prom thing because I was watching 
but maybe I looked at my phone or something. I, I have the attention span of a of a gnat anymore. Um, we all do. Smartphones are the the culprit. But uh, <laughs> I was like, I feel like I missed something. So like he asks her out. The, they seem like they have a good time. Then he has a conversation with his good friend James Spader. No no buttons on his shirts. And James Spader is just like, she's beneath you, man. And then in like the next scene, he's ghosting her. And I was like, is that? all it took for him to decide to not talk to her? It seems like it. He makes the excuse that he had gotten in trouble when he took took her to like the 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 rich people's club or something that his family yeah. belonged to, but yeah, it seemed like it was just because Steph was badgering him. So <laughs> that's I, I, like, I don't know. I think Steph makes a con yeah, Steph makes a comment about his family, which made me think like, oh, we're gonna get into like his family dynamics and like that's why he's like changing it, like cause his parents' opinion or something makes means a lot to him. No, it it just it's just Spader is mean, but it's like also Spader has been mean this entire he's not even particularly mean about Andy. He's mean about everyone. Like <laughs> what why would you listen to anything Spader says? <laughs> I don't even think he likes himself very much. So uh, I don't he think has, he does. Steph has no. some real problems. Steph, real, let's let's real really problems. dig into whatever's going on. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem with Spader. He's taking over the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is one actor who is uh, kind of a big part of the cast we haven't talked about yet. And uh, that is Iona. So what did you think about Annie Potts? In this uh, in this movie, Pretty in Pink, I thought Annie Potts was great. I, I loved Iona. Her crazy hair, her, uh, her her weird dating life that's just sort of going on in the background of this movie that we're just getting strange snippets of uh, while she's talking on the phone. I love that scene with her and Andy where she gives Andy her prom dress and she and she she gets into her prom dress and it has the big bouffant. Like the giant beehive hair hairstyle, which made me go like, oh my god, yeah, she would have had that hairstyle because this movie is what eighty five, eighty six, uh, yeah, something around there. And it, and and her character is probably you know in her thirties, so like her prom would have been maybe fifteen years before, so like late sixties, early seventies, and that was like crazy for me to think. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I guess this like mid-30s woman would have had her prom in the 60s. I was like, oh God, time. What is time? But I, I like that she it, we kind of see the, you know, the stuff how the styles have changed so dramatically since she's been in high school, which was, you know, she's not that old. So it wasn't that that long ago. And they and when she was in high school, they all wore like the the dresses with the crinoline and they all had the beehive hairdos and the big, the big fake lashes. And now Andy's in whatever uh, weird new wave thing she decides to <laughs> to hobble to cobble for herself out of scraps of fabric. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought that the Iona character was really great. I thought she was one of the, the more fun like side characters besides Ducky in this movie. Yeah. I was uh, thinking about her, her character progression because she started off. Uh, I think the first time we see her is with the crazy hair, like this sort of spiky hair at tracks. And she, she transitions into different looks all throughout the film. And by the end of it, she is, uh, she, she, she says that she uh, referring to herself, that she looks like a mom, that she gets to the point where she's a little more grown up. She's dating this guy who works at the pet, pet <laughs> store or, or owns the pet store or something. 
And so I was I was wondering if that was somehow tied to Andy's character and some of the the character pro- progression she went through. I don't know because I was seeing similarities about Andy and Iona both working at the record store, not wanting to be at the record store for the rest of their lives and having all these relationship issues. So I, I didn't know, ex- I can't pinpoint what exactly that says in terms of comparison to Andy, but uh, I thought that was really interesting that they were sort of uh, following that same, same uh, path. Did you see how he stalked his way up here too? Yeah. Hi Beaker. Hey buddy. What's up? No, you're just going to sit. Okay. I swear to God, if you knock it over. <laughs> is that the ring light? You knock over that ring light, buddy. Hey, Beaks. <laughs> you can only see the light. He's just staring into the <laughs> light. That's not even good for your eyes, Yeah, pal. that's probably not good for the eyes. He's just staring. So my ring light has a mirror in the middle of it. Oh, he's so he can see himself. staring at himself in the mirror. He's so, he's so vain. <laughs> I bet he thinks this live stream is about him. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to stop putting overlays up because I'm missing the, the lab cat action. <laughs> I don't know how long he's going to, I'm just going to ride it out. Let's see. Let's see how long. No, not across the keyboard, not across the keyboard, buddy. Okay. What a night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was just wondering if, uh, if, if you saw any parallels to Iona and Andy and pretty in pink. Um, yeah, I was also kind of struggling with don't knock it over on your way out. Uh, I was also kind of <laughs> struggling with like, are, is, is it supposed to be like a parallel story there? I don't really get that. I don't, I, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I do think that like her ending up kind of looking a little bit less punk rock at the end when she ends up with the, you know, the pet store guy. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's like, you know, kind of like Andy picking the more conventional, um, suitor for herself too. She picks Blaine instead of Ducky, who, you know, wears big oversized coats and goes to prom looking like Dracula. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to put that out there because I was I was trying to follow those characters and kind of the the comparison there. Okay. So let's actually talk about the controversial ending. So originally in the script, as and as they were in production, they were shooting it with the ending that uh, Andy was going to end up with Ducky. They even shot this scene where Ducky and Andy are dancing. Uh, But from what I understand, Molly Ringwald got really sick. Like they were spinning and spinning and spinning and she got really sick. And like, it just became a kind of a disaster. I've also heard that Molly Ringwald, (laughs) as you correctly pointed out, thought that Andy was not interested in Ducky as a, as a suitor. She considered him like, like a little brother or like a best friend or something like that, but not, not in a romantic way. And so she didn't think that was the right ending. She may should, she maybe should have said that before they started shooting. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't think she found it until uh, at the end when she got sick shooting that scene. Um, and so I think she requested the rewrite, re rewrite. Ah, and uh, so then they brought all the actors back, 
uh, to shoot it. And they reshot it where Blaine was by himself at the prom and they reconnected and uh, Andy ends up with Blaine. Uh, if you if you look closely at Andrew McCarthy at the end, he's wearing a wig. Apparently he had shaved his head after oh. they had shot the original like uh, really? original production. And so they had to put a wig on him. And his hair definitely looks a little different. But he's wearing a wig in that scene where they kind of reconnect at the prom. So, uh, I yeah, I don't know. I, I, th- I think it uh, there's a lot of different um, opinions, I guess, on which it should have gone. My opinion is that if they were going to stick to something, they should have stuck it out. Uh, rewriting things late, last minute like that is is never good. Uh, I think they kind of made it work, but it's still awkward because Andy and Ducky hold hands at the prom. And it's just like, what are, what am I trying to get out? What am I supposed to get out of this? So, uh, so it's a, it's got a lot of mixed messages in it, but uh, yeah. So I found, I did a quick Google and I found an article on a site called fatherly. That's an interview with director Howard, uh, uh, Deutsch or I think Dutch, I guess. Do- Deutsch, maybe. Deutsch, maybe. Um, and so they they ask, they said, let's discuss the ending. Did you want to see Andy with Ducky or Blaine? And did the fi- and and did the film you'd made after until the ending was reshot tip your hand as to who you were rooting for? And so he says the original ending was Ducky gets the girl. That was what the script was and what I was executing. When we showed it to the audience, they rejected it. They wanted her to get the cute boy she wanted. To them, forget the politics. It was she wants the cute boy. She wants Andrew. We had to figure out a way to change the entire structure so that it worked. Yeah, so. Don- yeah. Donna says something similar in the chat, saying I heard test audiences didn't like the original ending. Yeah, there's there's that, but I've also heard that Molly Ringwald did not like the ducky thing. So interesting. Uh, so there's a uh, there's uh, two sides of that. Uh, I guess it's uh, who do you believe? <laughs> it also kind of feels like well, they could have made that ducky ending work by just having her into him even the slightest bit. <laughs> Instead, instead, he's literally like an annoyance that she has to deal with. She's a like, couple of times she has to like shoo him away. She has to shoo him he away. Shows, he shows up at her <laughs> job and makes the alarm go off. And she's like, get out of here. <laughs> I love Ducky. I love Ducky. Probably because John Cryer is great. And uh, and he brings a lot of energy to the role. But Ducky is annoying. Yes. Ducky is a lot. Uh, <laughs> and I think and like they could have. They could have figured fixed that by just having her have any amount of like, oh, uh, maybe I like him or oh, maybe I've overlooked Ducky and and uh, he's been there for me all along. But the the movie never has that at all. She likes him as a friend. She kind of puts up with him constantly stalking her, but she's never romantically interested in Ducky. And so I could understand why test audiences are like. And then she just ends up with this guy she's been annoyed with for, like, the whole movie? Yeah. There's one scene where Ducky is over at her house studying. And uh, he's, he's I think he's singing, maybe. He's talking about Andy to himself. And then he, I think he starts singing and sort of serenades the dog. And she can <laughs> hear she can hear him through the, uh, like, the uh, the air conditioning vent or whatever that was. That would have been a moment where Andy could have had some sort of realization about Ducky's feelings for her, and that could have changed 
the course of their relationship, but they, she's just kind of laughing about it and nothing happens. So there, there were opportunities for her to have some sort of realization, but uh, she never does. So yeah, I agree. yeah, it, it feels like the movie was like leading up to like, oh, like the the guy for her has been there all along, and she's been kind of ignoring him, and like he, you know, he accepts her just the way that she is, and then at the last minute, it's like, but you know, she's not really into him, so off we go to Blaine. It's like. I feel it feels like the it feels like the ending it makes sense to me just because she was never into Ducky. Right. But like thematically, I don't know that it makes a lot of sense. It's like, but actually she's gonna she's gonna go for the guy uh who broke up with her because James Spader was a uh, like <laughs> recommended it uh one scene ago and then he just changed his mind again. <laughs> I think the filmmaker and even John Cryer, I watch I watched I watched an interview with him because uh I bought the uh the the, oh. du- the ducky edition of Pretty in Pink. Nice. It's, it's everything's ducky edition. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually have a, an overlay for that. Uh, I I wondered what it was. I don't know if it's any different from the uh, everything's ducky. I, I don't think it's different from uh, any other versions of Pretty in Pink. I think they probably just uh, slapped a different label on the front of it. Um, <laughs> But uh, what was I even talking about before I mentioned the oh, Ducky when you were, edition? When you were watching the Ducky edition. Oh, the interviews uh, that they ta- they had on the special features, John Cryer talked about how um, maybe it was best for Andy, the, the rewrite for Andy to end up with Blaine, because otherwise the message you're sending at the end of that movie, if she ends up with Ducky, is that the poor people can't have a relationship with the rich folks of the school. That's true. So if you you don't, if you, if you have her just ending up with Ducky, then it sort of sends out this message that she was never good enough. I'm going to be controversial and say, okay, hot take, hot take. I feel like given the choices, maybe she should have ended up with nobody. Like maybe the ending of the, the movie should have just been like her having a fun time with her friend Ducky at prom no romance. She just has a good time. She's wearing that dress she made herself. Everybody's like, what a dress. And she's like, I know. And uh, <laughs> she she, da- she dances with Ducky. Blaine apologizes. And she's like, thank you for your apology. And then she just dances away from him. Uh, and then and then that's it. That's all. She's she's crushed prom. She don't need no man. <laughs> <laughs> I personally think that's a good ending. But uh, but, uh, the you know, the studio people want to have a, a romance there. Uh, to sell but yeah no i think that's a perfectly uh, acceptable alternative uh, (laughs) solution to the problem because the the issue with the rewrite is then it sort of makes ducky pointless in a way Uh, because if if it's just all about andy and blaine's relationship you don't even need ducky there really it's a ducky is like the guy who's super into her who is like her childhood friend who she really relies on to like be there for her but like is very clear that it's only a, ever as a friend. If they wanted to play up a love triangle aspect to the movie, they needed to have her like him even a little bit. And yeah. she never does. Yeah. She never likes him romantically, even for a second <laughs> in that movie. Like even when they hold hands at the prom, it's like how you hold hands with a friend. There's no romantic, uh, like there's nothing romantic happening there. She's like, oh, Ducky, I should have known you were here, you old scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> 
fun trivia uh the the shot of them holding hands that's not even john crier no Uh, it's like some older gentleman holding her hand that's too funny that's too funny i I do like that like ducky somehow randomly had more chemistry with her uh her boss who he like tries to he tries to make uh andy jealous and so he kisses her boss iona and iona's like oh my god Ducky. <laughs> uh, do you recognize the uh, the young lady at the prom that Ducky sort of connects with at the very end? I did, in fact. I screamed, oh, my God, it's Buffy. Because <laughs> <laughs> when Andy goes off to get her happy ending, you're like a little sad for the duck man. It's like he's, yeah. just, he's just dressed like Dracula for no reason now in the <laughs> middle of that prom. And then he turns around and who does he find dressed like Dracula? Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I was like, it, it's Kismet. <laughs> I mean, maybe he maybe he got an upgrade, I feel like. He, she he she seemed into him. She she was feeling the duck man versus Andy, who was just like, You are a piece of scenery to me. <laughs> <laughs> you are like the wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, uh Christy Swanson is uh I think they uh in the credits refer to her as Duckette. Uh, Duck- so. Yes, I saw that. We were because I I screamed, "Oh my God, it's Christy Swanson!" I think that's Christy Swanson. And Mike was like, "I don't know." Uh, so, <laughs> so, so when the credits came up, we had to like look, and it said Duckette, Christy Swanson, and I was like, "I was right." Yeah, John Hughes really liked Christy Swanson. She also appears in Ferris Bueller's Day Off uh, in a very famous moment uh, when the teacher is calling roll, and everybody's wondering where Ferris is. And she's like, uh, I saw uh, uh, my friend's sister's cousin or whatever, saw him at 31 Flavors last night, that whole speech. Uh, that's Christy Swanson in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And she actually, I went to Dragon Con many, many years ago and went to a panel where Christy Swanson was there and somebody had her uh, asked if she could still recite that speech. And she nailed it. She oh my God, nailed it perfectly. So and it was, as somebody who loves Ferris Bueller's Day Off, that's probably like a top five movie for me. And uh, I was like, that this is the greatest thing in the, in the history <laughs> of dragon con. That's like one of my favorite moments is being in that room when Christy Swanson recited that speech. But yeah, so it's kind of fun. She doesn't say anything. But she's just there no, making googly just, eyes. At, she as, just smiles. And she's like, oh, she's like, look at that. Look at that handsome young Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I didn't realize is like right before we started recording, I was like, man, John Hughes, like, you know, Pretty in Pink and Breakfast Club, the things that he's sort of like famous for. What else did he write in? What else? Like what other movies was he involved in? He's a he, prolific, or direct? He, he was a prolific screenwriter. It turns out he wrote every movie in the 80s every <laughs> movie i was like read, read him out that one um okay here's just just the tip of his filmography national lampoons he wrote all of them like uh the vacation the christmas vacation the european vacation. vacation so good so good uh 16 candles which we know breakfast club um weird science ferris bueller's day off uh some kind of wonderful planes trains and automobiles uh, he did. She's having a baby. Uncle Buck. Here's some big ones. He did all the Home Alones. I don't think I knew that. I didn't know that either. <laughs> he wrote uh, something called Curly Sue. He wrote the Beethoven Something movie. called Curly Sue. I haven't seen Curly Sue since I was like a child. <laughs> <laughs> I vaguely remember it, but it's it's only a we'll have to do a, a, our Curly Sue. <laughs> 
<laughs> Can we tie Curly Sue to Supergirl? <laughs> Apparently, he wrote the movie Beethoven. Do you remember Beethoven with the I big dog? I remember Beethoven. I've been told Didn't that I. I I've been told from uh, from off screen that I need to clarify that IMDb says that he wrote that as Edmund Adantes as a, a pin name. Are you happy, Mike? <laughs> He's very happy. Uh, he So he did all the Home Alones. He did Dennis the Menace, all the Beethovens, again, as Edmund Dantes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he did the 94 Miracle on 34th Street, 101 Dalmatians, Blubber. I mean, cl- what classic, did, classic what, film, Flubber. This guy wrote, like, every movie in the 80s, it feels like. I was like, Ferris Bueller and Weird Science? What? Yeah, yeah, he was he was probably uh probably I would say probably more well known for his writing, but he also did direct films. He did. Um, yeah, I just see he, the list of his films. He directed, directed less than he wrote. He they have a IMDb has him down for a director of 8 of those movies. So, uh two of them are the big ones that we, uh three of them I guess are the big ones that we know. So, 16 Candles Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, but he also directed Weird Science, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. She's having a baby, Uncle Buck, and Curly Sue. Yeah, and Donna wants to clarify uh, that he wrote the Robin Williams flubber, not the original flubber. We, d- we don't want to uh, no. mischaracterize the, the flubber. The flubber verse. <laughs> Yeah, so John Hughes uh, is probably one of my favorite directors because a lot of those those films are, uh, like I said, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is one of my favorites, and Plane Trains, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is such a classic. I feel like I have to. So Mike is off screen, just doing the most right here in this podcast. <laughs> Because he's being a real ducky right now. <laughs> he's being such a ducky right now. He <laughs> sent me from off uh, off screen. He sent me a G chat with a link because Edmund Dantes, which is uh, which was John Hughes's like pen name on a couple of those movies, mm-hmm. is actually uh, the title character and the protagonist of Andre Dumas's uh, adventure novel, The Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> so the, the more you know, there, right? <laughs> I would never have known that. Tell Mike, thank you uh, for sharing. Can can he be a fact checker on all of our live streams? I oh, wish. I wish. <laughs> really, so, sorry, I'm I'm, uh, I'm hearing from Mike that that's incorrect. <laughs> we might need to fill that position. Uh, so funny. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where I looked John Hughes up the other day, and I was like, oh my gosh, he did Home Alone. I didn't realize that. I just. Kind of somehow that passed me by, but it makes so much sense um, the way the way some of those films are written so well. Yeah, I I know when I right before the stream when I looked through the list, I was like, wow, this is like hit after hit after hit from the eighties, like Weird Science, Ferris Bueller, like Home Alone, like the just the Home Alones alone, right? Like you write a couple Home Alones, and I'm just I'm retiring there, like. <laughs> Ferris Bueller, goodbye. I'm done. Yeah, that's. I would have like called it a day after Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, that's that's the pinnacle uh, for me. But yeah, I, I probably would have stopped John Hughes after the first Home Alone. He didn't like, really need more than one. I liked number two. I don't know that. I think number three exists, but I don't remember. I think anything there's about a fourth. It. Is there a fourth oh, one? No, I think there might be. And then they remade it. Which I, I like, saw. Why? I just saw why? like a Disney Plus series of like Home Alone, and I was like, okay. 
why, why? So yeah, no, but his, his the first one is such such a great film, one of the best films ever made in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, so John Hughes was a writer, just a just a screenwriter on this one. He did not direct P- Pretty in Pink, uh, but it sounds like from the uh, the Ducky edition that I watched. <laughs> Um, he had a lot of input on music that they used and the casting of uh, Molly Ringwald and uh, some of those some of those things. So he did have a lot of input, even though he wasn't directing it. The man, uh, Howie Deutsch, I think, who directed the film, this was actually his debut as a filmmaker. So this really? was his first. He had done some music videos, I think, as a director, but he had never done a feature film. So this was a big undertaking for him. And it sounds like uh, from the audio commentary, he relied pretty heavily on the cinematographer uh, for certain things. So like the shot of uh, Andy and Blaine kissing in front of the car with the headlights on. Yeah. That was all the cinematographer. Oh, wow. Because that's a great shot. It's a great shot. It's probably one of the best ones in the film. So kudos to that guy. He was like, listen, this is my first, this is my first thing. I'm going to listen to you, cinematographer. You know what you're up to. And cinematographer was like, yes, my moment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, maybe he should have gotten a director credit. I, I mean, they should have just looped him in. <laughs> yeah. And now I feel like I need to, um, to look him up and actually say his name. Cause now I feel like I need to give that guy credit. <laughs> I had never heard of him in any other film. Uh, let's see if I can find that information. Oh, that's going to take a while to look through that. I'll see if I can find it, though. What was his name? Uh, I'll co- oh, Tak Fujimoto was the Not- cinematographer on Pretty in Pink, who uh, was so good and I think helped out Hoyt, uh, Howie Deutsch a, a lot. Um, this guy has a lot of credits to his name, too. Uh, he did Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to see if he did any other John Hughes m- movies. He did Silence of the Lamb, Lambs, Gladiator, uh, Philadelphia. Wow. Uh, the Sixth Sense, The Replacements, The Manchurian Candidate. Yeah, so so he uh, he knew what he was doing when he did pretty. <laughs> he was pretty aware. Yeah, so uh, so I, I did like that shot with the headlights, and apparently the director uh, sort of uh, was like, "I don't think we should do that. That's not going to look right." And and uh, F- Fujimoto like, was like, "Trust me, I've got this. Uh, this is going <laughs> to be great." So uh, yeah, so it was really interesting. There was a lot of uh, a lot of things behind the scenes that were very interesting. The controversial. Uh, rewrite of the ending somebody's first uh, film uh, so it was uh, quite interesting on the production side of things well uh, I guess uh, before before we get into um, uh, some maybe boardroom or ballroom if you want to do that so uh, I guess uh, before we get well I don't know should we do overall thoughts before or after boardroom or ballroom um I, I think we could do them before Okay. All right. So what are your overall thoughts about Pretty in Pink, Morgan? What, what, what did you get out of watching this film? I just, I just like Pretty in Pink. I, I like the, uh, the, I like the eighties John Hughes movies. I'm just kind of a sucker for them. Uh, and I, I just enjoy this one. I think it's, it's just like a fun high school kind of movie, like kind of tale. Do the, do the romances in this one grab me? 
No, they don't. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's a really fun, like, sort of coming-of-age movie for uh, for Molly Ringwald's character in this one. And I think that, like, all the all the actors do a good job. And it's a very, like, a very 80s story of, like, the poor girl and the rich guy. Like, I feel like there are, like, about 50 movies in the 80s that were just that concept. And as one of those movies, I think it does a good job. I think uh, John Cryer is great in it. As Ducky, I think he he takes a part that in like somebody else's hands would be like, get a restraining order. And and he makes you almost root for Ducky, like to get the, to get the girl. Like you almost want Ducky uh, and Andy to get together. And then you're like, and then that time that he called her every five minutes, no girl, no. Uh, (laughs) But I think that he did a really good job at like making that character lovable and, and making you sympathize or empathize with him at the very least, even though he is, deeply irritating um and and i thought i thought that the the guest uh, like the the whole cast so like andrew mccarthy and james spader and um and whoever was uh annie potts that's right uh i thought everybody was really good all the way down and like the fashion was insane so that was always just really fun to watch and uh, I thought that the music was good, was good like nice 80 fun 80s music and so i just really enjoyed this one i also uh, appreciate that like unlike you know like 90 percent of the movies now this one was like a tight hour and a half like we yeah, got in too long. we got out there wasn't there didn't have to be like three hours of pretty and pink like it knew it, it knew the story it could it, it was telling was like a, a tight 90 minutes and it told it and i'm good <laughs> with that <laughs> yeah i i can understand why this film is considered such a classic from the 80s it's not my favorite John Hughes movie. Uh, I would probably actually kind of put it on the bottom tier John Hughes movie. Um, but I think there are some really standout performances from uh, Molly Ringwald and uh, John Cryer, especially um, really stand out and make those characters uh, stand the test of time. We're in 2022 talking about it and still uh, analyzing it and looking at the film. Um, and I do think Annie Potts is great in this. She's great in everything she does. Um, so this is, uh, this is a great film to watch. I would recommend it, uh, but I'm not like over the moon crazy about it. I do like the 80s aesthetic in it, the the wardrobe, the music, the the record shop. I mean, those the really don't shop, yeah. Those don't really exist anymore. Uh, so it's, I know, yeah, it's, it's cool to see you know, and be reminded of when those things did exist. And I like that it really went like, you know, for me, I'm like, oh, what a period piece, right? But like, (laughs) that was, that was just like what life was like then. Like, I'm like, oh, they went really hard on the 80s. Yeah, they were in the 80s. That's why. But like, I I like that, you know, you have the the preppies and then you have like the new wave people, like the punks and like that was really starting to like become like a trend. You, you even hear, like there's a band I think that plays at the the bar that they like to go to that sounded like you know the beginnings of what would eventually be ska. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> oh my god, is this sounds like a little bit like ska? Oh, the nineties. <laughs> just felt a cold chill down my spine. I was like, the nineties, <laughs> my childhood. Uh, so I, I really like that they you know for them they they went all in on being like contemporary and for us it's like they went all in on you know the 80s of it all and uh, I think that makes when you're watching it and it's kind of a straightforward story but that makes it more enjoyable watching it like years later in 2022 you're like oh man this movie was like so 80s 
Yeah, I like movies that are set in a, a specific time period and were of that time. That's why I like watching, you know, classic films from the 30s and 40s, because I can learn things about that time period because I wasn't alive then. But I can learn about, oh, what did elevators look like then? You know, oh, yeah, what, the what was the fashion? You know? across. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th- I like that about those movies. And so I get to revisit some of those things from the 80s um, that maybe were maybe a little older than me. Um, uh, just in terms of like, I, I wasn't, you know, I was probably too young to hang out in the, in the, tra- in the track, the tracks record shop, but, uh, but to be able to see things that I would recognize as the eighties, um, is, is kind of enjoyable because I get to revisit that time period and that, in that history and that decade. So I enjoy it for that. It's not my favorite but uh, there's some there's some good things about it. All right. So I think we need to before we get out of here, we need to uh, talk about the uh, quote volcanic ensembles. Uh, that's how they referred <laughs> to uh, some of Andy's uh, uh, wardrobe choices in the film. So I think I, we it's need to- how I would refer to them, too. <laughs> They were so let, volcanic. <laughs> so let's take a look at those and do kind of a, a ducky and maybe an Iona uh, a boardroom or ballroom. And now, Lena Luther, boardroom or ballroom. All right. So let's maybe talk about uh, some of Ducky's uh, outfits that we did not talk about. Uh, we we mentioned his uh, his prom his prom suit, uh, but kind of looked like the, he was the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, yeah. So li- <laughs> he he did like a what are, what are those kinds of ties called? Like the bolo ties? Bolo ties. That's what it is. He's just like whispering to her, sing to me. (laughs) Angel of music. (laughs) Honestly, Phantom of the Opera is a real ducky vibe in general. So I think that he would... You would be on board. I can see the parallels. Um, But uh, since we've already kind of talked about the prom, the prom attire, uh, let's talk about his... uh, his more casual look when he goes to the uh, tracks record store to uh, do his his musical number for Andy and Iona. So, what did you think about this outfit? Well, he's got like the first off, he's got like the flock of seagulls hair, which is always pretty amazing. Like it just it comes up high and then it dips down low. Uh, it's and, almost uh, like an old pompadour. It's like a look. yeah. It's like a it's like a new wave pompadour that he's his sporting. Like if you gave him a different outfit and you put him in like the middle of the streets and he started snapping, he's in West Side Story now. Like <laughs> he's a jet all the way. Uh, <laughs> but I what I appreciate about this outfit, and I'm going to tell you, is that how how many layers this outfit has. He's it's like Inception. This outfit, there's <laughs> so many layers deep he's got he's got like a button-down shirt with like a vest it looks like maybe a vest over it with like a jacket over that and then but all of none of the patterns would make sense together none of those things would you see and go oh this thing goes with that thing no not at all uh it's just all clashing patterns <laughs> all clashing patterns he's like i don't care if i match that's not what ducky's about <laughs> I also like that he has uh, a lot of uh, jewelry on his wrists. It looks like he's a watch, but also yes. a bracelet and some rings. Uh, so he's I, got I, those little ducky glasses where they're just like the like the round John Lennon glasses. Yes. but they're sunglasses. Yes, <laughs> I like that he has his own style. I don't know that everything makes sense. No. But I appreciate that he's got his own look, kind of like Andy. He has his own style. And I guess that's maybe speaking more towards the 
the less affluent kids in the schools that they kind of had to just create their looks and um and he seemed to be kind of uh i would say ducky is more in tune with the, what the 80s are yeah uh, like than maybe the, anybody think, in the movie i agree i think like the maximalism of all of his outfits it's like why wear one shirt when you can wear five uh <laughs> do, should should those five shirts match nah not for me bro <laughs> uh, his his jacket even appears to have like some sort of pin on it like there's a lot going on like he, you, like you're right he has jewelry on he's got rings on he's got like bracelets on he's uh he's just he's doing the most here he's got a lot going on and the other outfits i wanted to kind of take a look at with ducky uh, there were there were two other ones that I thought were really uh really standouts. So one of them is when he goes to the record store and he sets off the I don't know if he sets off the alarm accidentally or if he does it intentionally to get Andy's attention. Probably more that one. Uh, but uh, he has a, a hat on with a jacket that looks like it has some sort of uh military maybe uh something or other on the sleeve i can't quite determine what that look is going for but uh it's kind of in the same vein as the other one with the john lennon glasses the sunglasses and and the rings and all uh, but do you have any thoughts on that one yeah he's really committed to those sunglasses and god bless him he should uh <laughs> they're they're a little weird but they they somehow work for him I like the I I like the uh, everyone's commitment to like large oversized suit jackets that don't quite fit them. Uh, that I guess was like a big look in the eighties. Is it is it ill fitting? Yes. Okay, I must have it. Um, I also like that like his little hat seems to have like you know like when you see like the old timey press and they've got the hat and then they've got the little like ticket in the hat. Yes. And they're like yes, that's what he looks like an old timey like press <laughs> like reporter out on the scene. Yeah, he looks like a an investigative reporter out and, getting and the scoop. Yeah, and then in the like but like an investigative reporter from like the forties. <laughs> yes. And then his second outfit is serving me a lot of like stylish grandpa. Uh, <laughs> he's got on like it's like sh like long shorts with like suspenders. He's got on a pair of sneakers with socks, like big socks that go all the way up his his calf. Uh, this is a this is truly a, like a, a top notch grandpa outfit. And he's he's I, I think. If he continues dressing like that, he can just continue right into his his own 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Are those Converse like a Converse All Star shoes? I don't they know, look, sort of like look like Converse. Like yeah, they look like con like he's like wearing Converse. I'm also okay. I don't. He's wearing shorts, but he's also wearing and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. Like four levels of sock. <laughs> so, is it hot or cold on this day I, his feet must be sweltering he's got like brown socks over top of white socks over top of what looks like maybe black socks I'm not sure I also like that it looks like he has suspenders connecting his his shorts <laughs> yes well I, maybe he doesn't have the right kind of like the size of shorts maybe his shorts are too big i don't know but why why this is suspenders with the shorts like his jacket his shorts are also too large 
Yeah, so that is quite the look. That's uh, that's the look he decides to uh, wear when he asks for Andy's hand in marriage. Uh, <laughs> with, I feel in like a conversation I with his fa- with her father. I feel like I would have gone for a different look, but maybe he was going for like, listen, I'm no threat. I look like gr- a grandpa, <laughs> and like as a, as a strategy, maybe that's not the worst. Maybe his her dad was like, this kindly old man looks like he <laughs> he'd really take care of my daughter. <laughs> Yeah, so there is that. And I guess uh, before we uh, get out of boardroom or ballroom, I guess we could talk. Do you have any um, favorite look of Iona's that you wanted to talk about? I mean, every look of Iona's is pure magic. Uh, in the first, her we first see her, her hair is standing straight up as if she had been electrocuted by like sticking her finger in a light socket. <laughs> uh, and then she's wearing like a white t-shirt but over top of that, she's wearing a like a leather dress. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But I love it. Good for her. Like, she is working it. And then later on, she has, like, a series of wigs. Why? I don't know. She just likes wigs. <laughs> she's got, like, a wig with, like, a blonde wing with bangs. And then later on, she puts on the beehive wig to kind of, like, recreate her own uh, prom experience. But she's got on a pair of big, like, fuzzy slippers. Uh, I, I think I feel like I like the outfit. I think th- this is the one with the, like the little hat and uh, like the hair bun that they when they go to the um, the bar. Yeah. She's looking very 1940s. I think that might be the time period. Yeah, she, it's it's like a bringing like 40s vibes, but it's still very very 80s. Like she's wearing like a weird like black uh, I don't know like a tunic that's got some like asymmetrical like uh, you know different shapes on it. It's like 80 80s uh, down below, and then up top it gets into like a 40s glam <laughs> moment. I'm like but with maybe like a hair and a lady net, and it's it's uh, yeah. I think it's a good look. I think it's it's scream is very 80s to me. She's like really committed to what she's doing there <laughs> yeah i i like the idea that we can see the change in her character through her wardrobe and her various looks she's trying to find herself and i guess in the end she does i don't know i mean i don't know if she's happy in the end with <laughs> she seems happy with the the pet the pet shop guy yeah she seems to like the pet shop guy i don't love her like 80s mom outfit uh it's it's very stuffy and i feel like uh, the the same woman who wore her hair straight up in a leather dress uh maybe wouldn't love uh love that like 80s uh mom alpha like vibes uh long term but i think you know for for the moment i don't think i think she's like she's working it she's like here's a here's a blazer it's also too big for me so that's what i need because it's the 80s i like the i like the she's like she's like proper ladies wear have pearls so i'm just gonna wear like a bunch of pearls (laughs) i think the parallel now that i kind of uh think through it 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 seems so simplistic and obvious now but uh i own a is kind of um, at the beginning sort of dating these deadbeats who have no job or they're they're no good. They're not good boyfriends. And then she finds this guy who owns his own pet store and he's a wealthy guy. And so I think the parallel there is between Andy and Blaine and trying to figure out who you are. You know, do you fit in with that lifestyle, that kind of thing? 
And I'm like, yeah, that seems pretty obvious, Rebecca. Why didn't you connect? (laughs) I didn't connect it either. I was like, I don't know about our love life. It just made me giggle through most of the movie. (laughs) I think I think that's a really good point about like, you know, she found somebody who was actually more interested in her and not just sort of like these deadbeat guys that she's been she was talking to earlier on the phone and like throughout the rest of the movie. But is Iona trying to fit in with him? But it's not like who she is. That's what I felt. I was like, I don't know. Like, just because you're dating a, you know, a nice guy who likes you, who runs a pet shop, doesn't mean you have to dress like a, like a, you know, like an 80s mom. Like, I feel like you could still have some of, she could still have a wacky style and also like a nice guy who treats her well. I, I, I don't know, 80s movie. I don't know what message you're trying to send. It kind of, that that part of the movie kind of felt like at the end of Greece when she's like, <laughs> she's like, I'll dress like you like to dress. And he's like, I dress like you wanted to dress. <laughs> like, I don't know. Could you, any of, either of you guys have like your own personality? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Iona's struggle is the same struggle that Andy goes through trying to fit in with the Richies and trying to still maintain her own personality and her own her own fashion sense. So I I think that's maybe, I don't know. That's kind of what I take away from it. All right. Well, thank you for helping us go through all those various uh, volcanic ensembles. (laughs) And I guess that will wrap up boardroom or ballroom. This has been Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Okay, before we completely wrap up the live stream itself, we do have some snap judgments uh, that that we came up with, but also some that uh, we've been uh, seeing in the chat. So I think nice. we, I think we need to make some snap judgments about pretty and think so. In the game of snap judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended, and explanations are unnecessary. Okay, so we have uh, quite a few snap judgments. We have a couple from us, so let's start with our own snap judgments. So, first, our first snap judgment is, would you rather go to the Richie party or the dive bar with Andrew Dice Clay as the bouncer? This is a tough one because I hate bars that are so smoky that it would probably give me a headache. If I'm around too much smoke like that, I would get a headache. But I would not want to go to the Richie party. That's this too much party for me. So I guess I would fit in more with the people who just kind of want to go hang and listen to some music. So I, I think I would probably go to the dive bar. Yeah, I think I'm going to the dive bar because that bar seemed fun besides the, you know, that was before the indoor smoking ban. So (laughs) you're right about it. It was so smoky. (laughs) How smoky it was. Uh, So that would be hard. I would probably cough a lot. Uh, That secondhand smoke, not great for you. But other (laughs) than that, it seems like it's like it's not like a club bar. Uh, It's like more of a hang bar. I feel like the people were pretty chill. Like even with Blaine there in his little like polo collared shirts, they were like, Oh, what's this guy doing here? All right, party on. <laughs> uh, whereas the rich people would just be like, mm, you're not wearing a designer outfit. So like they, there was just too much attitude there. I, get, I can't party. face the judgment at the rich party. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> okay. Would you rather drive Andy's pink Volkswagen uh, Carmen Gia Coupe or ride Ducky's bike? I think I would pick... The coop. I like riding bikes, but I'm. I think I'm gonna go. Uh, Andy's pink coop here. 
Oh, I actually, I actually really like the pink coop. As soon as they like showed it in the uh, in the movie, I was like, "Ooh, that's nice." Uh, I, I I love a good pink car because it's not a car. It's not a car color you see all that often. And it wasn't like too pink. It was just pink enough. It was the right amount of pink. It was a little beat up. I would, you know. But it was still running. It still seemed to be running well. And like, uh, unlike Ducky's bike, like I don't need to particularly stalk anybody or <laughs> <laughs> quietly drive past their house. So I'm okay with just <laughs> with just the pink coop. He could pop a wheelie and stand on the seat. So he was pretty good on that bike. He, uh, he knew what he was doing on that bike because he is stalking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> He's a champion stalker. Yeah, I tried to look up more information about the car. Some people said it was from 1958. Some people said it was 1959. So it's at least late 50s. So I think it's cool that Andy had a classic car that she was driving around as a high schooler. I don't know if that made her popular or unpopular, but I, I think it's a pretty neat car. I think it's cool that she had that. I, I assume, based on what we know about that character, that it wasn't like a uh, like a purposeful choice. Like, oh, I'm, my car is going to be vintage. It was probably like the broken down car. It's like that the she only car she could get. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, like, so I will take it in pink. I'll take it. It has to be pink because of the name of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we have some snap judgments from Nicole. So Nicole's first snap judgment is more cringeworthy version of John Cryer in love. Ducky not so gently stalking Andy or Lex Luthor pining over Nixley. More cringeworthy version. More cringeworthy. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna jump in here first. I, I think it was Lex Luthor because, oh. like, at least at least Ducky has has the excuse of being like 16 or 17 years old. It's like, he's just he, you know he really likes this girl and he's liked her his whole life. What's Lex's excuse? Like, why why does he have to be so cringeworthy about it? Why is he Why is he writing poetry in his little his little dream journal or whatever it is? Like, <laughs> no, uh, I I I got more of the cringe I think from Lex pining over Nixley. I I feel like I feel like maybe Ducky's gonna grow out of the stalking. <laughs> Here's the thing about Lex and Nixley. Lex didn't really pine over Nixley because in the future they were together. So that she true. did return. I'm gonna I'm gonna go the opposite direction. Ooh, I'm, I'm going twist. to I'm going to disagree because Nixley actually at some point in the future did return the feelings for Lex Luthor. Uh-huh. Unlike Ducky and Andy, uh, Andy was not uh, really giving him the time of day. So, <laughs> so I think it's more cringy or cringier to watch Ducky try to pine or stalk Andy. Fair. That's fair. That's a good point. All right. So our next Nicole snap judgment is uh, Andy from Pretty in Pink and Lena Luther swap closets for an evening. Ooh. Who is able to put together the more gala worthy outfit? I mean, I think it's Andy. I think she's got a lot of good material in there. Uh, I don't. Yeah, think she would have Le- all of Lena's wardrobe. Lena doesn't have a lot of good material in the Andy. Uh, I feel like Lena <laughs> w- would pay somebody to sew her something uh, reasonable out of like Andy's many, many volumes of like scarves and <laughs> and vests over billowing dresses, like prairie dresses. But 
I don't know that she's got a lot of good raw material to work with. <laughs> so I think Andy's going to like knock it out of the park and Lena's going to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Lena has the technical skills. Well, I mean, I guess she could figure out how to sew things and create create some clothes. But I don't think Lena seems like the person who would want to do that. I think she no. would just want to have somebody make it for her. So I think Andy probably has has that up on Lena that she's willing to kind of cut and sew. Also, do you remember that one, like, uh, it was like Lena's one Lena outfit where she was, like, dressed, like, kind of like a vampire ghost, like a gothic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Vic- a Victorian vampire Victorian ghost. vampire ghost. Uh, Andy <laughs> would be all over that. She oh, would my turn- God. That's such an Andy outfit. She would turn that into a whole look. Believe you me. <laughs> She'd be like, I'm living my best life here. How do they know exactly what I'm into? Uh, Nicole's last snap judgment is uh, description writer for Pretty in Pink or Supergirl description writer Veronica to describe your life story. Ooh. Hmm. I mean... Mm, this this kind of depends on whether we're going like early Veronica or late Veronica. Because <laughs> by the end of Supergirl, she was given up. Ver- was- Veronica had f- surrendered by the end, <laughs> <laughs> much like the rest of us. <laughs> I don't know. Veronica always tried to give it her all, though. I think for, for the for the majority of the time, she she threw some <laughs> some good uh, good uh, descriptions in there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go Veronica. I'm going to go Veronica, too, because I think Veronica could give me, like, a fun uh, story that we then never delve into. Uh, (laughs) Veronica could give me, like, a deep, dark secret. Uh, (laughs) And on this week's episode, Morgan reveals something that she never, that that Rebecca never heard before. You're like, ooh, what is it? And then. It's nothing. It doesn't you never matter. Find out. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. You'll never know. I like that Veronica's going to give me a little mystery. You know, that is so true. Uh, okay, so our last snap judgment is from uh, CM Gutierrez seventy four, who says, "In middle school, my friends and I had a legit debate about which rich kid likes poor kid movie was better: Pretty in Pink or Some Kind of Wonderful." I have a confession. I've never have, seen some kind of wonderful. I was, gonna, I was about to say, I think I have the same confession in that I have also not seen some I've kind of wonderful. Always wanted to see it though, because I think Leah Thompson is in it. I, I think you're right. I'm it's a 1987 film, and it does have it's Eric Stoltz, uh, Mary Stuart Masterson. Oh, no, Mary. Mary Stuart Masterson and, oh, no, Leah, and Thompson. Leah Thompson said it. Yeah, okay. and Leah Thompson. So there is uh, a lot of a good '80s talent there. Uh, I have the, never seen it though. The description on IMDb says: When Keith goes out with Amanda, the girl of his dreams, Amanda's ex-boyfriend plans to get back at Keith. Meanwhile, Keith's best friend, Tomboy Watts, realizes she has feelings for Keith. Uh, so that's Ooh. a that's a big time. Big time love triangle. Eric that, Stoltz is looking good in the poster, though. He is. He's like I, serving some face. I, mean, <laughs> I gotta say, that's that's the best I've ever seen Eric Stoltz look. Uh, there's there's something about the way that he's looking in the poster 
there's something there's like almost kind of like a dead-eyed stare though that is kind of off-putting the more you stare <laughs> at it <laughs> I don't know if you're experiencing this as well but like at first you're like oh Eric Stoltz and then you're like oh my god Eric Stoltz <laughs> what, what, what do you want do from you me <laughs> is this the one I, I think this is the one where uh he somebody like lifts up a boom box or something to play some no, music no that's say anything that's, that's say John anything Cusack. that's right no you're also correct. a classic also yeah, you're correct you're correct <laughs> what if we just become 80s movie radio <laughs> i would be into it uh yeah no you're correct so in that case i have no idea what some kind of wonderful is about although i, I, I think i might i might give it to some kind of wonderful because of the poster eric stoltz in the poster I think I'm going to go to give it to Pretty in Pink because of, okay. because of Ducky Lex Luthor. I have my, <laughs> my loyalty lies with Ducky for some reason. <laughs> it's unexplainable. It's unexplainable. I would get a restraining order if this was real, but but because it's not, gosh, you go Ducky. Ducky edition. <laughs> I'm living that Ducky edition life. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i guess that will uh do it for our snap judgments thank you all for uh submitting them in the chat no judgments on your snap judgments fun fact about eric stoltz and uh leah thompson i'm pretty sure wasn't eric stoltz the original Marty mcfly in back to the future i think you're right i think he was and i he remember reading that somewhere and he played it so seriously and they were like you gotta go this is <laughs> this is not work i i'm just imagining that the stare from the poster of some kind of wonderful <laughs> but as ferris bueller they're they're like bueller you're such a scam oh, no no like, no this is uh marty mcfly from back to the future oh marty mcfly that's almost worse <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine that like time traveling just the stare <laughs> He uh, definitely took it, I think, too seriously. He was like, I got method on this. <laughs> and from what I know, I'm sorry, this is this is starting to become back to the future radio. But uh, he also, from what I understand about Eric Stoltz, when he was playing Marty McFly, he saw the story as a tragedy. Oh. And not like a, like a fun comedy, let's go back to see my parents in high school story. <laughs> so Eric Stoltz is a very serious guy in the <laughs> That reminds me of like, I don't know, uh, I haven't watched this show, but I'll this HBO show Succession and uh, everybody is obsessed with it. I have yet to watch it, but they had like they recently interviewed one of the actors and one of the actors is like, no, like this show is totally serious. And people are like, no, it's like it's kind of like a dark comedy. He's like, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> like So he's like just playing it like deadly serious and everybody around him is like, we're in a comedy. <laughs> Okay, and this is another tangent, uh, but on Netflix, what is that uh, thing called? Um, talking about playing things so seriously, uh, Kristen Bell is in that <gasps> mini series. Yes, I've I I'm on episode seven now. It's like the woman in the 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 woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. I'm on episode I think five, oh. and it's it's played so straight. It's like deadly serious. You could watch it and not not catch on for a while that it's like a parody that it's <laughs> a comedy. Except that like she's always pouring these like full bottles of wine into it's glass. Like, that's too much wine. <laughs> My favorite running joke is like the casseroles that she oh, like yeah. brings the casserole everywhere. 
I, it, you have to listen to the voiceovers really carefully. Those are the ones that make me laugh so much. You also, you also have to pay attention to like the gags in the background. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like her daughter's headstone has changed. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> I I noticed I was watching one of the like one of the episodes, and like uh, the 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 thing said like I, I hope you you dance like no one is watching. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Uh, I can't wait to see how it goes. Uh, I need to finish that up. But uh, talking about playing something so completely seriously straight. Uh, but I think it's meant to be played like that. That's that's the joke of it. That's the joke. Uh, but could you imagine like that energy, but to like back to the future? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you should. If you've never done it, go uh, go look up those because uh, they have footage of Eric Stoltz in the, that, the film that's amazing because they shot a whole bunch of it before they decided to recast so sometime in your free time <laughs> go look at eric stoltz and back to the future well i know that they uh oh donna mentions it there's a great netflix behind the se- scenes series that talks about recasting him and i think she might be i can't remember the name of it but there is like a netflix series that's like the movies that made us or something oh yeah like yeah that. that's, a, that's a great that I, great little yeah series. i've been meaning to watch it um but i i've I want to like now I want to look up and see if they have the um, the back to the future one and, and find out all about that. So good. OK, well, I guess we've gone down a, an 80s movie. Eric, as Stoltz. always, <laughs> <laughs> tangent. Uh, there's a lot to talk about with Eric Stoltz. Uh, but I guess that's going to do it for this review of Pretty in Pink. So I hope everybody enjoyed revisiting Ducky Lex Luthor since we do talk about him in that way quite a bit on Supergirl Radio. Now now you have the full context of why we call him Ducky Lex Luthor. Uh, so it's good to actually get to uh, talk about a, a movie outside of Supergirl, but it's somehow connected to Supergirl. So oh, that's how we justify it here. All right, so I guess we will need to get to some Supergirl Radio and DC TV plugs. If you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Podchaser, and Spotify where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on and inspired by the CW Supergirl TV series. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. If you like what we do, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy our Supergirl radio live streams, make sure to subscribe to the DC TV Podcast YouTube channel and hit that notification bell to get notified when we go live and wired dc tv podcast also has a t public store so if you're in need of new dc tv related t-shirts tank tops sweatshirts onesies mugs notebooks pillows or stickers go to supergirlradio.com and click on the t public store link at the top of the page supergirl radio is part of the dc tv podcast network so if you also like the flash legends of tomorrow black lightning Titans, Doom Patrol, Batwoman, Stargirl, Superman and Lois, and the upcoming Green Lantern, Justice League Dark, and Strange Adventure shows, and DC TV After Dark. You can subscribe to the DC TV Podcast Mega Feed on Apple Podcasts. Follow at DC TV Podcasts on Twitter 
and like DCTV Podcasts on Facebook or else. This has been a message from Hope, inhabiting the Flash Vessel, also known as New Rachel. And speaking of the DCTV Podcast to Public Store, whew, we have some <laughs> Ducky-related merch. Yeah, we got uh, Ducky t-shirts, Ducky mugs, uh, everything for your Ducky needs. Uh, so check out the DCTV Podcast Tee Public Store uh, to purchase those items. And I see we have a comment, a question in the chat. We'll get to that real quick. Uh, Nicole asks, uh, is the Prop Master interview next week going to be live or pre-recorded? I have questions about lab setups. Uh, That will be live. So if you want to come ask Matthew Wilson any questions, we have a lot of questions for him. He has things he wants to talk about. Uh, But if you would like to talk about the lab setups, uh, please come and ask a question. I'm sure he would love to uh, talk about them. All right. And uh, as always, we would like to thank our legion of super sponsors for supporting Supergirl Radio. These people are Michael, Sam, Anne-Marie, Yvonne, Quinn, Nicola, Leslie, Abby, Ermgard, Miriam, Shree, Donna, Nicole, Lizeth, and Faith. If you would like to become a Legion of Super Sponsor, uh, go to patreon.com slash supergirlradio. We have four tiers of monthly memberships, and we appreciate you uh, helping us keep the lights uh, lights on and supporting a Supergirl Radio. And you can find me on Instagram at the Derby Kid. I'm also on the social media platform Vero, uh, which is where I kind of talk about what I've been watching or listening to. And uh, so you can check me out there at Derby Kid. I also have a personal YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash duckmilkprod, where I do a live stream every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, where I am reading through the top critics uh, of Rotten Tomatoes, reviews the negative reviews of batman v superman dawn of justice i'm i'm getting close i think i might be close to halfway so uh i'm i'm getting through it but it's still going to be quite the journey ahead of me but if you want to come and hang out in the live chat and share your thoughts uh we talk about film analysis and uh how to uh go through a film and maybe what not to do when you're writing a film review so if you're interested in that check me out over there and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mojotastic. You can also find me as a co-host on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast, where I think we're close to a hiatus. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I think this might be the last episode of Legends for like maybe two weeks. Uh, but anyway, it's been a great season. We've been really enjoying it so far. So if you want to hop on board, now's the time. You might have two weeks to catch up. Uh, that's a great time to start listening. No, you don't have to worry about the watching any previous episodes of the show or the back catalog. Just jump in right now. Season seven. You're going to be fine. Yeah, you don't have to watch the show. You just <laughs> you have to listen to, to watch the podcast. It. Just listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds good. Uh, it's a great podcast. Everyone should listen to it. Well, I think that is going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Morgan Glennon. And we hope you enjoyed another episode of Higher Education. McGurk! 
I love not typing. mess with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther Boardroom or Ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this show. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther? It's not just Lena being mean? No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Supergirl Radio.